Let's turn in God's Word this morning to Psalm 49. To the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heel shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth, and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. That he should still live forever, and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. Like a sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For he shall receive me. Selah. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee, when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. That's where we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of Psalm 49 and many other passages of scripture that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day 5, found on page 5 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 5, question 12. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment? and be again received into favor. God will have His justice satisfied. Therefore, we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. Can we ourselves then make this satisfaction? By no means. But on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature, evil to satisfy for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. What sort of a mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? For one who is very man and perfectly righteous, 
and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 5 marks a significant transition in the progress of the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Day 5, we are taken from the darkness of our sin and our misery and are brought incrementally into the light of deliverance which is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Up to this point in the Catechism, the emphasis has been on man's sin, man's depravity, that we are so wicked that we are inclined by nature unto all wickedness, except we are regenerated by God. The focus on the catechism, of the Catechism as well has been on the fact that we are responsible for this. And we cannot shift the blame. We cannot accuse God of demanding of us something that which we are of ourselves unable to perform. But in the beginning, God gave unto us the ability to keep His commandments perfectly. But it's only because of our own willful disobedience through our, per, our first parents, Adam and Eve, that now we have plunged ourselves into this pit, out of which for our, of ourselves there is no escape. And it is now contrasted against the darkness of our sin and our misery that now there shines the light of the Gospel revealed in Jesus Christ. And Lord's Day 5, I say, is a transitionary Lord's Day. It begins this transition into revealing unto us who is our mediator and what has the mediator done for you. Question 12 has a glimmer of hope in it. Since then, by the righteous of judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? Is there any way we can get away from the wrath, avoid the wrath of God? And then the final question sets forth that hope even more clearly. Question 15. What sort of a mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? There is one. But do you seek for Him? So we use that as our theme this morning. Seeking a deliverer. First, we'll consider why Why is it that we must seek this Deliverer? Focusing especially on the fact that God will have His justice satisfied and we are unable of ourselves to satisfy that justice. Second point, where? Then focusing especially on question 14, can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us And then third, how? What is to be the manner of our seeking for this deliverer? The motive that the Catechism gives unto us for why we seek a deliverer is God's unwavering, unchanging justice. Answer 12, God will have His justice satisfied. And therefore, we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. 
The idea of satisfaction, God's satisfaction, is a central thought in this particular Lord's Day. Answer 12 mentions it, that God will have His justice satisfied, and therefore we must make this full satisfaction. Question 13, can we make this satisfaction? Question 14, can there be found anyone who is able to satisfy for us? And so again and again, the Heidelberg Catechism brings up here the idea of satisfaction. And so what is satisfaction? What does it mean to satisfy another individual? You understand what it means to satisfy? To satisfy is to please someone else. To satisfy is to give unto someone else that which they are looking for so that they no longer are thirsting or are hungering for anything else besides. To satisfy is to do enough for someone else, to make sufficient for them so that they are satisfied. Esau was hungry. And so he, in that state of hunger, was willing to sell his birthright blessing for that bowl of pottage. And he was satisfied by that. That was enough for him because he was so physically hungry. Hannah wanted a child desperately. And Hannah pleaded with God for that child. And Eventually, God granted unto her that child, and the desires, the yearnings of her heart were satisfied. It was enough for her that God granted unto her that child. But now the one whom we are concerned about satisfying is not simply another human being. It's not about satisfying the desires of your spouse, your parents, or the other members of the church. But the one whom the catechism speaks about satisfying is God. Are you able to satisfy what God desires? What are the longings and the desires of God's heart? What is it that God wants of you? That God even demands of you? Assumed in facing this question about satisfying the justice of God is this, beloved, that you care about satisfying God. How many in the world do not care one iota about satisfying God's justice? How many in the world go about their business day by day seeking their own desires, their own satisfaction? Perhaps because they understand that this is what you should do. They show a measure of concern for those around them, seeking the satisfaction of people who are in their pathway, the spouse perhaps, or children, but they do not care at all about God's satisfaction. How important is it that God be satisfied? The catechism states it here as a matter of fact. It's not optional. It's required. Answer 12, God will have His justice satisfied. God will receive the longings, the desires of His heart. Either you will make that full satisfaction or someone else will make that full satisfaction. 
But it is not optional for us as the children of God for us to consider whether we will or whether we will not live in such a way where we seek to satisfy the justice of God. In earthly relationships, I suppose there is a measure of freedom there. You may choose whether you are going to satisfy this individual or whether you are not going to satisfy that individual. The employee could do that as he stands in relationship to the employer. The employee could determine that he no longer cares about this employer, and therefore he is not going to strive to satisfy the desires of that employer, and perhaps it will result in a strained relationship with the employer, and perhaps that employee will even be terminated as a result of not satisfying the demands of that employer, but that employee can just move on and find somebody else then whom he will work for. That is not the way it is in our relationship with God. God will have His justice satisfied. So what does God want? What is the yearning of God's heart? What does God come and say unto you? Give it to me. Give it to me every day. It's love. Love. It rises out of the believer's heart. That's what God yearns for. That's why God created you. So that you would love God. That's the debt, as it were, that we owe unto God. We have a love debt where every day God comes to you, to me, and says, love me. Love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. That love that you have for God is more important than anything else that one could offer unto God. God is not pleased with you merely doing outwardly what is acceptable unto Him. God is not pleased if you merely go through the motions of showing up to church on Sunday morning. God is not pleased if you make great sacrifices for the cause of His kingdom, if you write large checks for the cause of Christian education, God is not pleased if you simply outwardly go through the motions of keeping His commandments, but the requirement that God gives to each and every one of His children is Love me. And if you don't love me, you will face my justice. God will have His justice satisfied. As we stand before the thought of this debt, this love debt that we owe unto God, The Christian is struck with his and her own inability to pay it. Would that we could, but we can't. The Catechism confesses that, question 13, can we ourselves then make this satisfaction? By no means. 
But on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Instead of making payments unto God, as it were, decreasing the amount of debt that we owe unto God, we instead increase the amount that we owe unto God. We steal from God. And how do we steal from God? It's by doing the opposite of loving God. Instead of loving Him as the One who is almighty, the One who is gracious, the One who is sovereign, instead, we turn and we love ourselves. And day by day, we are filled with a desire to seek our own good and our own pleasure, and we pursue our own satisfaction and our own base desires and lusts of our hearts. Man is by nature a self-centered individual. Verse 11 of Psalm 49, describing man by nature, their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. And so man works, works, works. Why? So that he can give glory to God? No, because he wants his own little kingdom that he can put his name upon and that the generations following him will remember how great this man was as he worked to establish his own kingdom upon this earth. Instead of paying the love debt that we owe to God, we are by nature concerned about our own honor. Verse 12, Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. And here the honor here is an earthly honor, the honor of men. Nevertheless, man receiving the honor of men abideth not. Man at all costs feels that he has to protect his own honor and his own reputation. And so man constructs tall and thick walls around himself, lest anyone get close to his heart and see how dishonorable he is by nature. Man goes out of his way to try to control and at times even manipulate others so that others will view him in an honorable way. That is how depraved man is by nature. Verse 13, this their way is their folly, yet their posterity, their children, approve their sayings. This proud and conceited man who is concerned about his own honor seeks to control his children, his posterity, and any others who are around him so that his children will view him in an honorable way. And his children will respect him and look up to him and approve without examining what this man is saying. Approve what he says. That's what man does. He daily increases his debt that he owes unto God. This is our that daily increase our. We're not speaking here of the debt that the worldly individual has. We're not speaking of the rebelliousness of the wicked. But we're speaking of our debt. The knowledge of this debt that we have unto God presses down mightily 
upon us. It's not the case that we may have this debt that we owe unto God, this deficiency in loving God, and that then we can go through life without any thought of this debt, and it doesn't concern us, and it doesn't affect our day-by-day living. For some who have financial debt, I suppose to one level or another, it could be the case. An individual who has credit card debt. He knows he has this credit card debt. He perhaps doesn't like it that he has this credit card debt. He wishes he could pay it off. But it really doesn't affect his day-to-day living that he has this credit card debt. Once a month, he gets that intrusive letter from the creditor telling him, you owe me this many dollars on principal, and you owe me this many dollars in interest because you didn't pay off last month's principal. And so for a brief moment, the one indebted to the credit card company is disheartened because he's reminded of this debt that he has. But then he puts that letter to the side And he can go on living life more or less the way he pleases. The credit card company does not intrude into his home. The credit card company does not take his wife or his children away from him. In fact, the credit card company is all too glad to have this individual remain in credit card debt. And so they go out of their way not to intrude in your life. How different is it, beloved, as we stand indebted unto God? It is not the case that God simply gives those who are indebted unto Him monthly reminders saying, you have this bill that you owe unto Me. You owe me this much love that you've stolen from me. But then throughout the rest of the month, man can go about his earthly journey doing whatsoever he wants, more or less unaware of the fact that he is indebted unto God. That is not how God deals with His children. But the reality is that God does intrude into the lives of His children. And He does so by the operations of His Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes and He pricks the conscience of the One who is indebted unto God. And the Spirit so pricks that conscience that the One who is a genuine, a sincere child of God is troubled by this debt that he owes unto God. He's ashamed of it. It feels as if his bones are breaking under the enormous weight of this debt that he owes unto God. His soul is so troubled by this debt that he owes unto God that his nights are sleepless. He tosses and he turns as he thinks about the fact that he owes this love debt unto God and yet he has not paid it. And it is when God brings us to that point, beloved, that we then cry out, deliver me. I can't pay it. I can't even begin to pay off the millions, billions of dollars, as it were, that we owe unto God. Send me a deliverer. Where will such a deliverer be found? The Catechism teaches us that we're not going to find this Deliverer anywhere on the earth. 
Question 14. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature evil to satisfy for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin. Two reasons the Catechism gives here as to why we're not going to find an earthly creature who is going to be able to deliver us from this debt. First of all, the Catechism teaches us about the fairness or the equity of God. It says, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And that arises out of the fact that God is a God of justice and a God of equity. And because God is fair in His dealings with the creature, it would not be fair of God to punish a non-human for the sins which human beings have committed. It would not be fair of God to punish an angel or an animal, a horse, or an eagle, for the sins which man has committed. Man is the one who has created this debt unto God, and so man must be then the one who makes satisfaction for this debt. But then the Catechism advances its argument. Why will we not find upon this earth a creature who is able to satisfy for us further? No mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. And here what the Catechism teaches us about is the immensity of the wrath of God against the wrath of God is so great against the evil works of men upon this earth that no one who is but a mere creature would be able to stand for a moment against the intensity and against the heat of the wrath of God. You might consider, by way of illustration, a firefighter who enters into a burning home. No small fire, but the home is completely taken up in flames. Every board in that home is alive with fire. And so the firefighter enters into that home, and the firefighter has on him protective material. He has a suit which is intended to shield him against the heat and the flames. He has oxygen to supplement his breathing to help him as he enters into this home to fight the fire. But against the heat of that fire, the reality is even that firefighter, with all of his protective material, can only last a certain period of time within that home before he too would be consumed. As we stand before God, we have no protective material, no fire suit, no supplemental oxygen. We would not last a moment before the heat of God's wrath, before the creature would be utterly annihilated. And so man looks in vain for help upon this earth to deliver him from the severity and the intensity of the justice of God. The Catechism emphasizes this reality that we cannot find upon this earth a mere creature who can deliver us because it is our nature 
is it not, to look for an earthly deliverer? Because we are of this earth earthy, and because our mind and our will are by nature bent against the holy will of God, it is our inclination for us to look for redemption upon this earth. And the way that man looks for redemption upon this earth is oftentimes by confusing spiritual prosperity with material prosperity. And man assumes that because he has been given a measure of physical and material prosperity upon this earth, that therefore God is giving unto him spiritual blessings upon this earth. And so the psalmist wrote about this very reality in Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Is he, is this man able to redeem? Verse 7, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Verse 9, That he should still live forever and not see corruption. It could well be that God gives unto a man riches and wealth and even a measure of earthly honor as he walks here below. But, simply because God has given unto that person the abundance of things material does not mean for one moment that that person is receiving God's favor from God on high. It could well be, as the psalmist Asaph confessed in Psalm 73, that God has given unto that individual the abundance of things material, not out of love, but to put that person in slippery places. So that they fall to their own judgment and their own condemnation. We must be so careful in this regard, beloved. God has given to us as churches upon this earth on times of unprecedented wealth and prosperity. And we must not assume that simply because God has given us riches, that therefore God loves us more than what He loved previous generations. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Think of righteous Job. God stripped everything away from him so that he could learn to trust in God. If we look in vain upon this earth for a deliverer, then where must we look? God lifts our eyes heavenward, and by faith we behold our deliverer in His Son. Answer 15 does not mention the mediator by name, but it describes for us the mediator. What sort of a mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? For one who is very man and perfectly righteous, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. We seek for one who is very man so that he can pay for the sins of Mankind. Very man, so that he can be an appropriate, a fair substitute for the sins that mankind has committed. We seek for one who is perfectly righteous, so that he does not have his own sins for which he must make 
atonement. Perfectly righteous so that he is able to offer himself in the place of others. And then, one who is more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. Very God, so that with omnipotent might, He can redeem those who could not redeem themselves. Very God so that He could bear up under the infinite weight of God's wrath, compressed into the six hours upon the cross. Very God. So that according to verse 15 of Psalm 49, He can and will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Where do we find this deliverer that the catechism describes for us here? You know that you're not going to find Him on this earth. You know the truth that Jesus Christ has ascended. And that now He sits in heaven at God's right hand as the King's Sovereign who rules over all things in heaven and on earth. You know that you cannot physically reach out and touch Him, and that with physical eyes you cannot behold Him. And so where then will you find this Deliverer? Is it not in the church, beloved, that Jesus Christ reveals Himself to us? Is it not in the church that we see a physical manifestation of the body of Christ? Is it not in the church that Jesus Christ Himself speaks to you and to me, addressing us even by name. Did not Jesus Christ tell His disciples that where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am in the midst of them. Where do we find this Deliverer? In the church of Jesus Christ. You object. You say, but this church has so many weaknesses. Would that the members of this church showed more love, more compassion, Would that the members of this church were gentler in their dealings with me. Would that this church was more Christ-like. And if this church was more Christ-like, then I would love the church more. Beloved, it is not a sign of spiritual piety that one can find faults in the church. Even the blind man will stumble across weaknesses and faults in the church. We love the church not because the members of the local congregation in any way have made themselves to differ from the world. No, we recognize the reality that the members of the church by nature deserve temporal and eternal punishment. We recognize 
that the members of the church by nature daily increase their debt. We understand that and we don't deny that. And yet, we love the church. Why? Because Christ is in the church. And it's to the church that God has given the means of grace by which our souls are nourished and built up unto life everlasting. And so we seek Jesus Christ then, not with complacency, but the manner of our seeking is with urgency. We cry out for Jesus Christ and we are eager for the Sabbath day to come so that yet once again we can hear Jesus Christ as He addresses the sheep and He gives unto us the good news of the work that He has finished on our behalf. Does that characterize you, beloved? That with urgency you seek this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or is it the case that you have become complacent? That with regard to your own personal devotions, they've slipped to the wayside because of all of the other responsibilities of life that press down upon you. Now, with regard to your view of the Sabbath day, you view it as, I'll do it fine because it's expected of me. But I don't really love it. I understand, beloved, the difficulty of urgently seeking such a deliverer, deliverer and mediator. I understand, beloved, the temptation that the psalmist described. That their inward thought is, in verse 11, that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places will continue to all generations. The temptation to call lands after their own names, to be concerned about one's own honor instead of satisfying that love debt to God. I understand. But consider the alternative. If you do not seek this deliverer, if you do not cry out for him, then be reminded of the answer of the catechism. God will have His justice satisfied. There will be a day of reckoning. Urgently and with confidence, we seek Him. We seek the Deliverer not as a man in a dark room with a blindfold over his eyes, stumbling around in the dark, hopeful but naive about where he is going. We are not as the blind individual making his way down the road. But faith is a knowledgeable faith. God gives unto us confidence that this mediator will and has through his death on the cross made satisfaction for that love debt that we owe unto God. We seek this mediator then with a childlike confidence in God. 
Consider how the little child cries out for mother. The child cries out for mom with the confidence that mom will hear because mom is near. Mom does not stray far away from the child. The child cries out with confidence that mom will hear because mom cares. She has a heart, compassion for the child. And that child cries out with the confidence that not only will mom hear, but mom will answer and will help because she is mom. And so it is for us as we go to God crying out for this Deliverer. Confident that God will hear because He is near with us in His Word and in His Spirit. Confident that God will hear our cry because He understands His Son, Jesus Christ, is a merciful high priest moved with feelings of compassion. Confident that God will not only hear, but will answer our cries for this Deliverer exactly because He is God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word, a Word which teaches us about who we are by nature and how far short we fall fall of that mark which Thou hast set for us. Wilt Thou, Father, through Thy Son, Satisfy the demands of that love debt that we owe unto Thee. Wilt Thou spread Thy love abroad in our hearts by the Spirit? Bless and keep us for Jesus' sake. Amen.